0: We're glad that you're here and glad that you're here with us this morning. As we continue our series on David, it's interesting when you look at the Scripture. One of the things that I am thankful for is that God allows us to see into the characters that are in Scripture. And one of the things that you notice right off the bat when you spend time looking at the characters in Scripture You find that God allows us to see the good in them, and he also allows us to see the not-so-good. As a matter of fact, God allows us to see the right steps they take, but then he allows us to see what happens when we get our eyes off of him and take the wrong steps. One of the other things that God does for us is he allows us to see the consequences that come as a result of taking those steps. I want you to take your Bible. We're actually going to start in Proverbs chapter number 4 and uh, verse 20. So I would like for you to turn with me there. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through verse 23. Because what we're going to deal with from David today is this. You need to guard your heart. One of the places that David found himself in was when he allowed his guard to be let down when it came to his heart. If we're not careful, the same can happen to us today. Matter of fact, we can find ourselves today in a place of great victory. Life is going along all nice and smooth. There's not any difficulties the 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 water is just it's it looks like a piece of glass out there. It's just smooth. It's smooth sailing. Everything is going along so well that sometimes we let our guard down. And be unlike those times when things are in a state of turmoil or things are upside down and your week's upside down and then all of a sudden we start we start trying to to move closer to God in some way or some fashion that we can move closer to him. because apparently I must be where I am today because of something I did not do or something that I did do that I wasn't supposed to do but our heart is the issue what happened with David and what we're going to see in this next portion in the life of David It was a heart issue. And so what happened with David and his heart? Well, Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, as the writer of Proverbs shares with us, he says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all of their body. Verse 23, you see the word watch also or to guard. So watch or guard over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Our heart, the center of who we are and everything about who we are, it's so important that we we guard that portion of our being to the to to with all diligence to the fullest extent that we can be on guard of and as a believer it is that much more important because in this life and in this world that we find ourselves today it is easy for us to get sidetracked to get off of the track that we need to be on because here's what happens in life so often we're traveling down the road we're on a straight piece of road we don't have to worry about. It. there's no exit signs, there's no off-ramps, there's no any of those things. So we're traveling down this road, but all of a sudden, we get up one day, and all of a sudden in front of us, the road has a fork in it. And now the question becomes, is, which fork do we take? Do we take the left one? Or do we take the right one? And that's the question that we often have to ask ourselves. And I will say this to you this morning. Everybody in this auditorium this morning, at some point in time in your life, you've had cloudy days and very dark nights. And see, it's in those cloudy days and it's in those dark nights that it's easy for us to lose our bearing when it comes to our relationship with God. Because when we find ourselves there, here's what we often begin to do. We begin to look at ourselves more than looking at God. And we start to look at our resources. What means, what way can I overcome and take care of this? I've done this before with you. How many of you in here sitting in the pews this morning, you're control freaks? It's okay. All right. I don't know about you, but I like everything to kind of be cut and wrapped in ABCD. What happens when you deviate from that, everything goes to pieces. Because now it's not the way that I think that it ought, isn't it just like God? Huh? In our lives, because things don't always go the way that we think that they ought to go. And if we're not careful when we find ourselves in these cloudy days and these dark nights and things things seem to be out of kilter and we wonder how in the world are we going to make it, how in the world are we going to get through tomorrow... Where do we turn to? Where do we go? But please listen to me this morning. You see, it's in those times that our hearts are most vulnerable. It is in those times that our hearts become so vulnerable to poor and compromising decisions. Because I don't know if you're like me. All I want to do is fix it. How many of y'all are impatient? It's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to respond. But I'll say this to you this morning. God already knows your your what? Your heart. <laughs> Very good. We're going to get there yet. But we make poor compromising decisions. And because most of the time, we're in a hurry to fix it. And without stepping back and saying, hmm, how did I get here? Was it my doing that brought me here? Or it may be that God's allowed me to get to this point to do what? To teach me something. What is it that God is going or what God wants to teach to me? But you see, it's these forks in the road that should cause us to prayerfully consider our choices before we make them. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 27. David has come, of course, off of the battle with Goliath. Jonathan and David have formed a relationship between the two of them, Jonathan being Saul's son. David and Jonathan became the closest of friends. Matter of fact, to the extent that David and Jonathan enter into a covenant with each other. Um, the other thing that we find that happens is David and his men seek out Nabal and Abigail, and for Nabal, David finds himself in a, in a difficult situation, in a difficult place. But based on the counsel and the, and the wisdom of Abigail and trying to convince David against doing what David was going to do, we see that things kind of take care of themselves from that perspective. But that's not the detail that I want to get to this morning. I want to get to chapter 27 and I want to get to verse number 1 as we work our way through this. One of the things that you're going to notice in 1 Samuel chapter 27, God is not mentioned one time. Uh, The name of God, God is not mentioned at all in chapter 27. In chapter 27, what is interesting, David in chapter 27 is going to now, after all of this that has occurred in his life, he's going to come now to the to the point in his life where he's going to start looking at himself and his resources only. So in verse number one of chapter 27, you'll notice as it says, then David said to himself, let me say something to you this morning, that's always dangerous. And David said to himself, So now what David is doing is David is looking inwardly at his own resources and how he can take care of the situation. Because I want you to notice what he says. David's got this thing all figured out. Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. How in the world, David, did you ever get to that place that you think you're going to perish at the hand of Saul? David, have have you forgotten, David, that you've been anointed as the next king of Israel? The covenant that God made with David is an everlasting covenant. So, David, how in the world could you get to this place? Let me say something to you this morning. And here's what often happens. We really give guys like David here a hard time. Because we start to really come down on David. How in the world could you allow yourself to get to this point? My question is, how do we allow ourselves to get to the same point? And the thing about it is David didn't have, listen, David didn't have the word that he could go to to look at all of those things that were yet to come. We've got the whole entire word of God from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. We've got the Old Testament for us this morning to serve as as an example to us of what not to repeat when it comes to history. But we also look into the future and know what that blessed hope is. And so we know what what it is that we're looking forward to. David didn't have any of that so David begins to look at himself. You know, it's important when we talk to ourselves, though. How many of you, let me ask you another question. All right, here it comes. Some of y'all already know what this question is. How many of y'all talk to yourselves? It's okay. Now, please don't raise your hand. How many of y'all answer yourselves? <laughs> That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> Be careful. Okay. Because unfortunately, here's what's going to happen. David's going to answer himself. You know, that's when we get in trouble sometimes when we answer, is when we answer ourselves. So I want to share three points with you this morning out of this message of guarding your heart. David, a man after God's, uh, God's own heart. So here's the first point. When we find ourselves in these places, one of the things that we need to do is make sure that we stand firm whatever the circumstance. We need to stand on what we know. We need to stand on the truth of the Word of God. There's no reason for us to fear. There's no reason for us to deviate from standing on the truth of the Word of God and what we know for sure Matter of fact, hold your place in 1 Samuel and turn with me to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter 6, and I want you to notice with me, as Paul shares with us in his letter to the church at Galatia, starting in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6, Matter of fact, this is a familiar verse of Scripture because it begins this way in verse 7 Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9, this is the one I want you to pay attention to. Let us not lose heart in doing good. In other words, just do the right thing. Regardless of the circumstance that we find ourselves in, just do the right thing. Sometimes that can appear difficult. Sometimes the situation that we find ourselves in, please don't ever get to the place or get to the point that we start to trust in situation ethics and depending on the situation dictates what the right answer is going to be. No, the right answer is predicated based upon what the word of God says, not the situation. So Paul writes, he says, So let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. I know it's tough. Life's tough. Life doesn't get any easier. Matter of fact, if you spend any time reading or watching the news or listening to the news or looking around you in the world today, I will tell you, there's a lot of cloudy days and there are a lot of dark nights. But if I can encourage your heart with this today, do not lose heart. God is still on the throne and it is God that is going to bring all of this together. So for us, who do we trust in our own resources and our own selves? Here's what David said. Surely now I'm going to die at the hand of Saul. Matter of fact, David has had on more than one occasion to be able to take Saul's life, but he did not do it. He refused to do it. Why? David said, you don't put your hand against God's anointing. Saul was still the king. God, or Saul was still the anointed one. Even though David had been anointed, David was not king yet. Saul still was. But David said, surely now, I'm going to die at the hand of Saul. Let us, not, let us not lose heart in doing what's right. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 3. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. Because here's something for you this morning. Just consider him. Just consider him. Consider who? Consider Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 and verse number 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Jesus, from a mere point of right and wrong, should should not have been hanging on that cross. He was not a murderer. He was not a thief. He didn't do anything wrong. But he bore the hostility of sinners against himself. And notice what it says at the end of verse 3. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Please listen to me today. If I can encourage your heart. And I, I, listen, I understand. I get it. I understand where the world is today. I understand that sometimes it's difficult. And I understand sometimes in all of the things that are taking place, all of the evil, and I'm sure every one of you in this building this morning would agree with me, we live in an evil world. Amen. And we do. But please, if I, if I could encourage you, don't lose heart. Place your trust and faith in the one who will take us on through to the end, to eternity. That's where our blessed hope is. That's where we find our strength. That's where we find our contentment. That's where we find what we need in life every day, even in those days of cloudy days and dark nights. Well, what about when you sit across the desk from the physician and the physician begins to share with you all of this list of things and all of a sudden the bottom comes out from underneath your world? What do you do at that point? I can tell you this. There is only one that you can turn to and place your hope and faith in. And that's in God. And I know some of y'all are sitting there, well, you know, it's easy for you to say. And please listen to me. It's easier said than done. Now I will tell you that. Trust me. I remember when I was holding the hand of my dad when he breathed his last breath. I remember... I, I remember the day that I had to go into his room and tell him that he had cancer. And I remember my dad laying in that hospital bed after they had gone and done the surgery. They were going to to do this surgery. They were hoping that they would be able to go in and get it, and everything everything would be good. Unfortunately, that's not the way it happened. When they got in there, they didn't realize the cancer had already metastasized over to his pelvis. And so there was absolutely no way that they could do anything, anything with him. So we met with the doctors. The doctor met with me. We sat down and we talked about it. I asked the doctor, I said, so what do we do at this point? The doctor said, well, I can refer him to an oncologist. He can go see an oncologist. You know, we might can maybe get six months, maybe eight months out of the process. I said, what will be, he be like during that six to eight month process? Well, he's probably not going to fare too well because the magnitude of which we would have to give him the chemo. Can't promise anything. I said, all right. So I went and saw my dad, Sit down with my dad. He was laying in the hospital bed. I pulled up a chair beside him, sent everybody out of the room. It was just me and him. I'll never forget. Matter of fact, I can see that day just like it's today. Because I took him by the hand. I said, Dad, I got some news I got to tell you. I said, you have cancer. And there's not anything they can do for it. And I remember the tears as they formed in the corner of his eyes. And then I felt him as he squeezed my hand. He said, you know, son, he said, I want you just to remember something. He said, either way, he said, I win. And I looked at him and I said, sir, he said, either way, I win. If God heals me here, God cures me here, God heals me here, I win. He said, but if not, I'll experience a perfect healing because I know where I'm going. And I watched him go through that process of very difficult days. And one of the things about my dad, my dad loved more than anything else. My dad loved ice cold watermelon. (laughs) I believe my dad would eat watermelon seven days a week if he could get it. Two days before he drew his last breath, we were in the hospice uh, room. <clears throat> we're sitting there, and my dad got this little grin on his face. He said, he said, Robert, he said, uh, do you think it'd be all right if, if I had some watermelon?'" It wasn't the time of the year for it yet. We were in hospice, and I didn't know if they'd let him have it or not. I told him, I said, hold on, Dad. I said, I'll be back in a few minutes. So I left out, and I went to Publix. And they had these nice, small, dark green watermelons. And this one happened to be cold. So I rushed back, got to the, to the hospice place, and I walked in the door, and I saw one of the nurses, and I had this thing in a bag. I said, I got this watermelon in this bag. Do you think it would be all right if my dad had this watermelon? She says, honey, give that thing to me. I thought, okay. So I gave it to her. She took that watermelon, went back, cut that thing up into bite-sized pieces, put it in a big old bowl for him. And she come bringing it to me in the room. And I sat there and put that. He said, you know, he said, Either way, because he knew it was getting close, he said, I'm the winner here. See, it's in those cloudy days and dark nights that we need to stand firm whatever the circumstances are and place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You see, David killed Goliath, could have taken Saul's life twice, restrained from killing Nabal, walked in victory for quite some time. God had even spoken to David through Samuel and through Abigail and through Jonathan, assuring him that he'd be the next king. Here comes my next question to you this morning. Why is it that we have to be so pessimistic? Huh? Why do we have to be so pessimistic in our lives? I will answer that question for you. I'll tell you why we become so pessimistic. It's because we get our eyes on ourselves. That's what happens. Point number two. That clock up there is bugging me to death. I said it's 1230. That's okay. Somebody sent me a uh, little message on Facebook. It said, oh, by the way, you know, we're falling back an hour on the clock. So that means you get get to preach for two hours instead of one hour. They sent that to me. So y'all are just, you're... You're at the mercy of it this morning. Okay. Point number two, here it is. We need to guard against pessimistic reasoning. Hebrews chapter 6. We need to guard against pessimistic reasoning. Hebrews chapter 6. Beginning in verse number 10. So, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish and end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. So my question to you is where 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 are you who are you going to trust? Where are you going to trust? Where are you going to look to? In those cloudy days and dark nights, when it seems like the bottom is coming out, where do you turn to? The writer of Hebrews goes on, We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. Do you see that? It's an anchor. It's in a rock. It won't move. It won't budge. It will always be there. It's a what? It's an anchor for our soul. In those nights when it's dark, in those days when it's cloudy, we can't hardly see. It's an anchor for our soul. Steadfast, sure. Verse 20, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Folks, listen to me. He's already gone the path. He's already gone the way. He's already gone through the portal of death. He's already there. He's at the right hand of the Father. For us, to place our trust and faith in an anchor that will not be moved. What about David? Well, let's go back to 1 Samuel 27. What did he do? What did David wind up doing? Chapter 27. And here's what David does. Verse 1, then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Where? (laughs) I'd be like, David, have you lost your mind? They are the, they're a sworn enemy of Israel. Who did you just fight, David? Goliath. Where? With the Philistines. Who are they? They're your enemy. The worst place we can go when things get difficult is into the camp of the enemy. So what does David do? guess that's where I'm going to go. Because here comes his reasoning. If I go there, Saul won't follow me anymore. Saul's not going to come there. And matter of fact, I'll escape from his hand. Please listen to me. God's hand was on David. God had not taken his hand off of David. David's making this choice on his own. David could have stayed where he was, and he should have. Because I can tell you, this choice that David makes here is costly for him. It cost David significantly. Look at verse 2. So David arose, crossed over, he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household. Even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitis, and Abigail the Carmelites, Nabal's widow. And now it was told, Saul, that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then look at verse 5. This is what's, okay, please, this is David. This is the one who found favor in the eyes. This is a man after God's own heart. That's who David is. Anointed by Samuel to be the next king over Israel. But notice what he says in verse number 5. Then David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your sight. What, David? If I have found favor in who? This Philistine king in Gath? If I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there, which was Ziklag, Achish gives him Ziklag to live in. And guess what? The end of verse 5. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? Verse 6. So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, here comes, here comes the kicker. Look at verse 7. The number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. In other words, 16 months. 16 months David lived in compromise and misery. 16 months David lived in compromise and misery. Is it any wonder when we choose our own path, we become so pessimistic that we begin to look at our own resources that we find ourselves in that same place? Sixteen months of compromise and misery. So at what cost and how extensive were the consequences of David's choice? Let me share this with you this morning. The title of this message is to guard your heart. When we begin to serve the adversary's cause. Please listen to me. We submit to the enemy. When we begin to serve the adversary's cause, we submit to the enemy. That's exactly what David did. And then number three. It's to guard against compromise. David allowed the circumstances that he found himself in to begin to to have an effect on his heart. And through his own pessimistic reasoning, David began to come up with these solutions. that just made no sense. And let me tell you what it leads to. It leads eventually to compromise in the life of David. Did he compromise? Sure he did. Go to chapter 30. Chapter 30. I've been there, been here, been here, done that, been there, done that. Let me give you the string. Here's the way it works. This is is what happens. It won't matter. A little here. A little there. It's okay. Who's going to know? It's just me. If you're a believer this morning, please listen to this. Here's what the scripture says. No man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. Every choice we make in life affects someone around us. And so in our walk with the Lord, we need to make sure that every day we stand firm on the truth of the word of God. Number two, that we remain optimistic, not pessimistic in our reasoning. And number three... We don't allow ourselves to go to the path of compromise. So what did David do? Well, chapter 30, verse 1. Notice what it says. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now this is where he was living. All his family was there. Everyone was there with him. All the men that were following after him, they were there. All their families were there. Everybody lived in Ziklag. David just knew that that would be a safe place to hang out in his run from Saul. Verse 2. So they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. In other words, they went into Ziklag, captured everybody that was in there, and hauled them off. Fortunate for David, and in the providence of God's hand, they didn't kill all of them that were there. Verse 3, When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. It's amazing in our lives, when we find ourselves at this point, to bring us to the place of humbleness in our lives. Matter of fact, David now finds himself kind of at what we refer to as the bottom of the barrel. He is at the end. There are no resources passed here. He's done exhausted all of his resources. And now he's looking at what has happened, the consequences of the wrong choice that David made. I'm going to tell you something, there is nothing any more humbling than to deal with the consequences in your own life of your own pessimistic reasoning. And that's where he is. Verse 5. And now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. First part of verse 6, moreover, David was greatly distressed. Because the people spoke of stoning him. I'm going to tell you something, it doesn't get any lower than that. The very ones that had fought with David, the very ones that had followed David to the hilt, the very ones that entrusted David with their lives, now they're talking about stoning David. I'm going to tell you something, you don't get any lower than that. I mean, it's one thing for yourself to find yourself here. Now all of a sudden, he's here, plus all of those around him are looking to stone him. So where do you turn at this point? You know, what's amazing to me today is sometimes it takes the most traumatic episode in our lives or traumatic traumatic situation in our lives to get us to turn our eyes back to God where they should be. What happened with David? You ready for this? I, I love this about Scripture. David now makes the right choice. Look at the next part of verse 6. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But please underline the next part. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Where did he finally turn to? You know it's amazing to me? Let me tell you, I I can share this because I've been there. I can share this because I've walked down this same path. And I can share this as truth this morning because I've been there. You know, it's one thing to preach about it and to teach about, but when you've walked the path yourself, I can tell you right now, there is only one place that you're going to find the strength that you need when you come to the end of everything you've exhausted. There's only one place to turn to, and that's to God. But don't wait till that point when it's that late in the game to decide to turn to God. I'm going to tell you something. It'll save you a whole lot of heartache. It'll save you a whole lot of misery if you'll just turn to Him early on. And look to him and seek him for everything that you have. Look at verse 7. And then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, he said, bring, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Notice verse 8. This is where it all turns. This is where everything changes. And David inquired of the Lord. Before David takes another step, before David goes down another path, guess what David does? All right, God, is it for me now to go do what needs to be done? Are you ready for this? David waited till he got the answer. So David inquired of the Lord in verse 8, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and 600 men, who were with him, and they came to the brook, Bezor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men for 200, who were too exhausted to cross the brook, Bezor, remained behind. And let me tell you what, here's what happened. And they experienced a victory. They experienced a victory. And when they captured the spoil, here's what they did. Those that were too tired and too exhausted to continue on any further, And those who went with David to help capture the spoil, guess what? David divided it evenly across all of them. Why? It speaks to David's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. So this morning, if I could encourage you with these things this morning, stand firm in the midst of circumstances, no matter how difficult they may get. Number two, guard against pessimistic reasoning. Don't go down that path. So what's going to happen? I guess I'm going to perish at the hand of Saul. So therefore, I'm going to go do the wrong thing so I don't perish at the hand of Saul. I'd rather perish at the hand of Saul than I would at the hand of God. And then number three, guard against compromise. You see, it is these times that requires right thinking and a vertical focus. Vertical. Which direction? Up toward God. Reach up. Come home, your father's waiting at the door, ready to forgive, willing to restore. Let's see, here's the tough part. It's your move. It's your move because God's already provided everything else.